You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. I want to speak to you about the art of making distinctions. Now, this was prompted by a meme that I saw the other day when I was mindlessly scrolling through Facebook, and I shared it. I thought, you know, this is just really um, funny, uh, but also so very true. And basically, it was, it, was, it was a retweet. It was a picture on Facebook of a retweet by Maverick Christian, who is a YouTuber that I have had, had the chance of, uh, of interacting with before, uh, briefly, but still. Uh, we did interact, and uh, he shared this, um, um, somebody's post, and it said this, analytic philosophers, colon, that's a nice claim you've got there. It'd be a shame if we had to distinguish two ways in which it could be understood, close quote. And uh, so, you know, as I, as I read that, of course, I was laughing uh, because being a, a nerd about philosophy and stuff, you know, you can laugh at this sort of thing. And then it just, it really sunk in and hit me how true it really is and how important it really is and how little people understand this. Uh, I was thinking about this another way uh, based on another post that I saw uh, of this, of this interaction. And it was like, um, it's like giving people the benefit of the doubt. Whenever you hear somebody express their view, okay? I will try not to be too theoretical here, but whenever you hear somebody express their view, particularly if if they are a smart person that you have some context with, I think they should be given the benefit of the doubt. Now, this is a little bit of a of a divergence from, you know, sort of the original idea I had on the subject matter, but I think it's a worthwhile little trip to go on. So, here's a post. I'm going to read to you a post that I I, I came across. And uh, this is by, uh, actually, it's so funny. I mentioned her husband, Doug, in last week's episode. Now, this week's episode, um, in this week, I'm mentioning her. Her name is Lindsay. And um, she shared this. She said, she shared an article and she wrote this commentary on it. Personal testimonies can be useful in some ways, but they can't be the primary way we share the gospel. The gospel isn't just what God has done for us, but what he has done for all and how we can know that is true. Christianity, uh, excuse me, Christianity is inherently a claim about what is true, and that claim is based on evidence that supports it. We have to share the evidence, not just the claim. Now, the name of the article that she shared is why I stopped sharing my personal testimony. Now, now here's the thing about Lindsay, right? So if you if you know Lindsay, you know that what she's not saying is we can never share our personal testimony. Of course, that's not true because people in the Bible shared their personal testimony, right? And, and, and so there is a precedent for that, not only, but there is just also a, I mean, it's common sense that you're going to share what happened to you when sharing about your faith. And, you know, somebody commented on there, not not even like mad or or, or anything, like, like, but he commented, he said, well, we need both. We're called to be witnesses, not attorneys, but we should also be prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope that's within us. I've found a word of personal experience often paves the way for the message of salvation. 
I would be careful of evangelism training from someone who has had so much unfruitfulness, right? And so I'm not sure where that last uh, piece of the comment came from. Um, but but oh, well, well, probably just to say that if you can never share a personal testimony, then maybe it's not so, you know, good to be sharing your opinion on that. And, and that's probably true. Okay, the point is, what's the point? The point here is that there is a careful distinction that's being made in this case. Okay, it's it's she's what she's not saying is that you should never share your personal testimony, right? What she is saying is a personal testimony should not be necessarily the primary way we share the gospel. She also makes a really good point in the uh, comments. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the, com the the basic point being that we have to be very wary of people's personal testimonies and sharing that instead today uh, because postmodern thought is so common, right? So you can share your personal testimony and the person be like, well, that's nice. I'm glad that happened to you, but that doesn't mean anything to me. And I might have some disagreement with her use of the word postmodern there. I agree with William Lane Craig that actually it's just straight up modernism that most people have adopted. Uh, whatever. Never, nevertheless, that, that's way besides the point. Right? The point being that there's a distinction to be made there. And when you're reading other people, you need to really hone the craft of being able to make those distinctions. And when you're speaking and when you're sharing with other people, you should be meticulous and careful to make your distinctions. All right, I'm going to give you another example from an area of personal study that I'm currently digging into. And that is the doctrine of original sin. Now, now, hang on with me, okay? I, I'm going to try not to make anybody upset here. Uh, I believe in the doctrine of original sin, okay? Now, when we say, so this is the problem. When we say the doctrine of original sin, most of us, because we're post-Reformation, because we're living in America, you know, or, or wherever, like most of us have a particular thing that we're talking about, a, a particular way the doctrine is formulated when we talk about this thing called quote unquote original sin okay now i am reading a book right now that i'm thoroughly enjoying that has five views on original sin i would highly encourage you to pick it up it's good so far i've i've finished through the first chapter and i'm in a little bit into the second um, in terms of the chapters that actually explain the different positions from the different authors, okay? And so the, the first one that I read is probably the one that most people think of when they think of original sin. And the, I'm not going to go all into it, but to, to just give you the basic lay of the land is, in that view, original sin is sort of part and parcel with um, this notion of original guilt, okay? And now now I have... I lightly, I want to say tentatively, but I'm pretty well decided on it. But 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 still, I haven't done enough study to say that I am, you know, as convinced of it as I am of some other things. But I am I'm pretty sympathetic and have been for a while to the view that while original sin is true, original guilt is not, in the sense that I don't think the notion of original guilt can be sustained by any text in the Bible. Um, that includes Romans 5.12, that includes 1 Corinthians. Like I, I, I don't believe that those passages teach original guilt in that we are actually guilty and culpable for Adam's sin. I believe we are guilty and culpable for our own sin. We are inevitably infected by 
sin. No one can save himself, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't believe that Adam's guilt is necessarily, you know, something that we are morally culpable for. And so that that's, you know, honestly, that's even more detail than I wanted to, to you know, to get into. What is the, the point? Well, the point is that we can use this term original sin. And at the very least, there are five ways in which sort of that doctrine is understood by, you know, mainstream folks in the church. Okay. And so there, there, right. So the, the second view, the one that I, uh, I, I'm most leaning towards in terms of, you know, distinguishing that view in the, from the different ones in the book would be called the moderate reformed view. In other words, it's very close to the pretty traditional reformed original sin understanding with that one major distinction that I do not believe we are culpable for Adam's guilt. Now I'm getting ready to start reading. So I, I have actually read two full chapters. Um, I'm getting ready to uh, start the third chapter, which is the Wesleyan view. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of already think it's probably going to go too far in the sense that I'm not going to quite agree with it. Um, and, and so, it, but, but do you see, it, it's very careful, right? We say original sin, but the view that, that I'm leaning towards has one small but important difference. It's a distinction. It's not the same as the other, right? On my view, if this view is correct, right? I can, I can, I can look, I can look into the eye of a mother who has lost her baby and say, yes, with a hundred percent confidence that that baby is in the arms of Jesus. Right. And I, again, I don't want to go all into the, de the details of that. The point I want to make is that one little distinction between these two views is, is theologically potent enough and important enough to be able to make a claim like that which is so important, both philosophically and pastorally, okay? So this is just one small example, and I've given you the other example of when uh, of Lindsay and talking about sharing her faith versus, versus uh, actually giving the evidence, right? We need to be able to learn to distinguish when people are making distinctions, and then we need to be able to share distinctions in how we are speaking as well. It's more important than ever. You know, I just want to give you sort of a practical, you know, thing here, like, Again, no matter where you land on the different issues, it's just so important to be clear about what you actually believe. And the, the you know, a lot of times the personalities that, that get the most traction are those who, who, who leave much to be desired by way of interpretation, right? The louder you are and the more clamorous you are and the, the less careful you are with your words, Unfortunately, typically the more popular you are, but it's, it's those people, right? It's those extremes that oftentimes get a lot wrong, right? Oftentimes the truth is found in the middle. The truth is found in the distinctions. The truth is found in the, in the, in the quiet, sometimes in the mundane or the boring. And so to just make this really practical for you, you know, don't get swept away by the loudest voices. Take time to listen to hear, to understand, to make distinctions, to ask questions like, what do you mean by that? When somebody says, yeah, I believe in the doctrine of original sin, great. What do you mean by that? When someone says, oh, you know, yeah, I think Jesus was an awesome moral teacher. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I'm a Christian. What do you mean by that? You know what I'm saying? Really getting down to the nitty gritty of what people believe and how they've come to believe it. And this is just a, 
I guess it's sort of a natural plug to pick up Greg Kogel's book, Tactics. Still one of the very best books I have ever read in the subject of evangelism and apologetics, okay? Tactics by Greg Kogel, the 10th anniversary edition. It's just phenomenal. You're going to learn a lot about how to do this. So very important lesson for you here today that just arose from a couple very practical things that I've seen lately and been concerned about. I hope it helps you. God bless you. I love you. I appreciate you being a listener to the Bible Nerd Podcast. I can't wait to see you on the next episode. You guys take care.